Well, as Tim Anderson once said, ah, where am I? What happened? What's up, mommy? Uh, where am I? Uh, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the 1912 episode of Championship or Bust. A hundred years before the classic Super Bowl 47 matchup when the Giants whooped the heavily favored New England Patriots for the second time in five years, we see Boston sports actually drawing first blood a hundred years prior as the Boston Red Sox beat the New York Giants. So I'm going to pass it along to Josh with the game breakdowns. That's going to be like a top 10 intro ever. Although <laughs> instead of mommy, I think it might be daddy. <laughs> um, so the 1912 World Series, uh, American League's Boston Red Sox, there's National League, New York Giants. Both of these teams pretty much won the league by an absolute landslide. The Red Sox winning by 14 games and the Giants winning by 10 games. So it really wasn't a question that these two teams were going to meet each other. And unlike in, in years prior where one team was, you know, they thought one team was much better than the other team. These two teams were kind of thought of as being more or less equals. So everyone was really excited for this series. So game one ended up featuring Boston's ace, Smokey Joe Wood, against surprisingly, not Christy Matthewson, but rookie spitballer Jeff Tessero. Tessero? Tessero. The Giants wanted to save Matthewson to pitch on the road for game two, thinking that he has the experience, sent him out on the road, sent him out against Boston fans. He's probably going to need it. But this plan didn't quite work out so well, and the Giants' defense actually is what ended up costing the game in the seventh inning, a muff double play ball, where the next batter drove in what would stand as the winning run. So Matthewson does get the ball for game two, saying that this is exactly where he wanted to be, on the mound in Fenway. You know, he wanted that ball. He wanted to give his team the shot to win, and his team apparently did not want to give him the shot to win. <laughs> They decided that they were going to make five errors, and all six runs that Matthewson gave up were unearned because they could not, for some reason, do anything in the field. And it was actually awful. And then the, if it was this time around, it would be, I am a representative of myself and not the New York Giants. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. Surprisingly, the Giants did give him run support enough to get the game into extra innings. Um, the Giants ended up taking the lead in the 10th inning, and Madison goes out there for his 10th inning to pitch. Jesus. But when Tris Beer hits a ball into the outfield, all the way out to the wall, the Giants' third baseman steps in front of Speaker rounding third base, to a point where he knocks Speaker to the ground, and they still couldn't get him out at home because the catcher dropped the ball. <laughs> Just Unbelievable. awful, awful, awful fielding. <laughs> and this game went to 11 innings until they called it for darkness and ended up as a tie. So a lot of this game just gets swept under the rug, which is kind of sad being how it played out. So moving on, game three, neat and tidy, 2-1 win for the Giants, even the series. Rube Marquardt threw an absolute gem. Game four, Red Sox Joe Woods out there, nine hits, one run, complete game, 3-1 win. Game five, Madison on the mound again. He gives up two runs in a complete game. You'd think that's enough to win the game, but nope, the Giants only got one run on three hits. So they really did not help <laughs> in the slightest, which is pretty sad for a guy that was a Hall of Famer. So game six rolls around. The Red Sox are up three to one. They're on the verge of winning. And instead of starting their ace, Joe Wood, the Red Sox owner decides, against the protests of the manager and the players and the front office, that he is going to start Buck O'Brien, who... <laughs> is a known heavy-drinking alcoholic. <laughs> and they didn't tell him until about 11 o'clock in the morning for a 2 uh -oh. o'clock start. So he was absolutely, completely hungover. <laughs> and he pitched like it. 
He absolutely <laughs> pitched like he gave up five runs in the first inning. I like money. <laughs> he did like money because the owner thought that if they extend the series, they'd get more money from the box office, which I guess is true. But that's not really what you want to do. That pissed pretty much everybody in Boston off. There'd be an investigation today. Yeah, it would be an investigation today. (laughs) So the Red Sox do end up putting Joe Wood on the mound for Game 7, but the Giants actually got to him. They scored six runs in the first inning, and they tied the series. So Game 8, the magical Game 8, even though it really is Game 7, the magical Game 8, where the location of the game was determined. Yeah, Game 8 said no one ever. (laughs) And so game eight, the, deter- the, the location of this game was determined by a coin flip. Right. Interesting. Bring that back. No. <laughs> flip the coin. Because that makes sense. Series. Yes. Just like football. Holy all shot, the time. we're flip making a little series this year, boys. Yeah. <laughs> so Boston winds up winning it. So the game's in Boston. And Madison would be on the mound again against Betty and for the Sox. Uh, the Giants scored one run off of Betty in the third inning. And the Sox scored one off of Madison in the seventh. But he didn't actually throw a really good game. They don't really talk about it that much, but he did throw a great game. And Wood would end up coming on to replace him uh, later on, and he and Madison dealt this game with extra innings. So the Giants would score a run in the top of the 10th and bring that one-run lead into the bottom of the inning where everything would just absolutely fall apart. <laughs> and it's just sad. Honestly, it's really sad. So bottom of the inning, first batter's up, routine flight ball. Center fielder drops it. Pathetic. I mean, routine yeah. flight ball. Now, they don't talk about it, but the next batter got up and absolutely destroyed one into the gap. And the same center fielder, Fred Snodgrass, made what was called an incredible diving catch on this play. Like, this, the game should have been over right then and there. But he was able to get him. Uh, he was able to catch that ball. So, one out. Now, uh, the next batter ends up singling. So, now you got first and third. And Tris Speaker gets up. And everybody's afraid of Tris Speaker. And he... <laughs> pops a weak little pop-up down the first baseline, about halfway down the line. And the first baseman, the pitcher, and the catcher all run out after it. And they all stick their fingers up their noses and watch it land in between the three of them. <laughs> while they're looking at each other going, I thought you were going to get that. No, I thought you were going to get that. It's like that Spider-Man meme. What are you doing? Yeah. And fun fact, Fred Merkel was playing first base. Yeah. Uh, another one of Merkel's. <laughs> and Merkel. they say that as Speaker walked back to home plate to grab his bat, and get ready to hit. Yeah, he said the math. They said, you guys done messed up. This game is over. Thank you for giving me the World Series. Thank you. And he gets up there, and he singles. Ties the game. Now they got first and third. One out. Madison gives up an uncharacteristic walk. In hindsight, honestly not bad. They got double play. Hmm. Except they hit a fly ball deep into the outfield. Enough to score the runner and win the game. The only time a World Series has ever been won. On a sacrifice fly. What a celebration that must be, a sack fly, to win the World how, Series. Not even just, like, celebration. To me, it's, like, how, like, deflating is that to see a fly ball? Yeah. Like, you just know you're going to lose. Right? It's so anticlimactic, though. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only one ever. Only one ever. 1912. That's it is awesome. 2023. I feel like that's the, like, it's the best worst ending to a World yeah. Series. Yep. Like how how do you like like you, you get you get out. the out right like you get the RBI if that even matters anymore in our stupid statistical world that we live in. Well, I'm even saying from the pitcher's perspective, like you get that out, like you you did your oh, job. No, you're done. <laughs> but that like that sucks. Start walking away. Yeah. Especially in that day and age. 
when I know everyone's throwing ten innings. I gotta feel bad for Madison though, man. He pitches hard out, and the team just oh, did yeah. not help him at all. Sounds familiar. Yep. Jericho. Oh, sorry, sorry. Did I? Oh, yeah. oh, bless you. Oh, oh. Go on, Santana. Show me, Tony. <laughs> well, he helps himself. Oh, you're right. He does. He's the living embodiment of God. We've gone over us. Ah, uh, yes, my mistake. Yes. <laughs> All right, and with that, we will move into the Hall of Famers. Speaking of Hall of Famers with Otani, but we're going to move into the actual Hall of Famers that have been <laughs> Oh, my God. You got to throw it in there, didn't you? <laughs> yes, I did. So we have umpires, Bill Clem and Billy Evans. Now, you guys know that I revamped my whole Hall of Fame list to um, include like, – I went rankings by position now instead of going hitters and pitchers just because I felt like comparing – Yvonne Rodriguez and Al Kaline was very apples to oranges. Mm-hmm. So now it's straight by position and um, not ranked on an overall basis. I also added a basement floor um, for all of the Hall of Fame players. So like basically the, the list of the levels one to five modeled by the Book of Basketball has you know the top players in level five, the just made it Hall of Famers in level one, and everyone else in between. What I did now was I took Bill Simmons' model and I added a basement floor that he mentioned but didn't rank, and I made it so that all the players who are currently in the Hall of Fame that I think have either no business belonging there or I would not have voted for, they get crammed into the basement as you know, still part of the Hall of, Fame, Hall of Famers. So with that being said, I do not have the time, energy, nor means to compare umpires to one another. So they are, you are sure? They're listed as contributors in my Hall of Fame list, and they're not really ranked. So, But both Clem and Billy Evans are in the actual Hall of Fame, so they're on the list, but they're not ranked. Um, so is manager John McGraw, who is now in his fourth pennant, uh, has won one World Series, and had uh, now in his fourth attempt. Uh, so we move into the other uh, losing World Series, New York Giants, Rube Marquardt. Now, like I said, modeling this level, and we talked last time about how Rube Marquard was considered by a lot of sports writers to not be deserving of the Hall of Fame. I I never want to like put anyone down for being in it, but he is probably I have him in my bottom five starting pitchers in the Hall of Fame, so he is definitely a resident of the basement floor. Yeah, um, no disrespect to him, you know. Congratulations, he's in the Hall of Fame. Personally, I would not have voted for him there. Um, but we go to the polar opposite in Christy Mathewson. So it's his third World Series appearance, and Josh, you hit it right on the head. 0-2, 0.94 ERA, because, like you said, only three of his 11 runs were earned um, in 28 innings pitched in three games. Wow. So I have him ranked as the seventh best pitcher of all time in that top level, level five, uh, modeled exactly like Simmons. And I have him just behind Pedro Martinez and just ahead of Sandy Koufax. What? So I have Pedro six, Christy seven, Sandy Koufax eight. That's actually pretty good. I like that list. Though. Against, you're for that? I kind of can get with that. I'm borderline on Koufax uh, just because like, I have a couple guys below him. Like I have Seaver nine and Cy Young ten. I think I might have Koufax a little bit high. But that's the, the company that Christy Matthewson's keeping. They're all level yeah. five. They're all, like, you're, you're splitting hairs at that point. It's really more the level than anything else. But um, that completes the New York Giants, and we move on to the World Series winning Boston Red Sox. Whoa. And 
we go to um again kind of polar opposites here so i'll start on the lesser note uh right fielder harry hooper uh, who had a solid career. He had a 281 career batting average. He had almost 2,500 hits in 2,300 games. Um, he played for the Red Sox and the White Sox. Not really like anything that would be a legacy boost, but just sounds kind of fitting that, you know, you play on the Red Sox, then you play for the White Sox too. I just kind of thought that was cool. Uh, but this is his first of four World Series appearances, and he won all four of them. And in this World wow. Series, he had 290 with a 791 OPS. He went nine for 31, two doubles and one triple, four walks. So with that being said, in terms of his regular season numbers, and obviously he was on a lot of winning teams, which definitely helped him in Hall of Fame voting, especially back then. There's a ton of guys who got in um, as supporting members of winning teams. So I have him as my first right fielder in the basement (laughs) out of the Hall of Fame, but I have no problem with him being in it because I I get the extra credit for being on a winning team. So I have him in front of Ross Youngs, who we will talk about eventually, and I have him just behind Tony Oliva. So Tony Oliva is my last right fielder in the Hall of Fame who actually just got elected last year. Yep. So he's he's on the borderline, and there's other guys that I would probably have over him in right field who I wouldn't personally put in the Hall of Fame yet that you know aren't actually in it, so that's why they're not on this list yet. But in terms of my remodeled Hall of Fame accounting for everyone who's in it, that's around where he is. And going to the opposite, we have center fielder Trish Speaker. So he played on three championship teams, two different franchises. I'm sure more people know who he is than Harry Hooper. Yeah. Uh, has a batting title, led the league in on-base percentage four times, led the league in hits twice, led the league in doubles eight times, and still holds the all-time record to this day. Had a career 345 batting average, 3,500 hits. He's still fifth all-time in hits. And he has 1,500 RBIs, played about 2,700 games. In the World Series, he had 300, went 9 for 30, one double, two triples, four walks. I'm very borderline on this. I got to tell you, like, I, I've been thinking about these rankings, and originally I had him seventh in center field. Okay. Um, I've since moved him up to six. And the person who I had him jump was actually Mike Trout. Oh, well... So I feel I like had, that's fine. I originally had Mike Trout. Mike Trout so, can't win. Trish Speaker's ahead of him. End of story. Right. Yeah. But the only reason why was Mike Trout won three MVP awards, and he finished second four other times. So you're talking about a top two player in your league for seven years. Right. So I thought about that, but I, I'm going to give the edge to Speaker just because of the, the longevity that he had. So yeah. they're both in level four. Um, I'm considering moving Trish Speaker up to level five. I was going like to say, who is the five and, uh, ahead of him? So for perspective, who are the five ahead of him? Yeah. So I have Willie Mays, one. Yep. Ty Cobb, two. Yep. Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle, three, four. I'm on and off on who goes where there. I have Ken Griffey Jr., five, and Tris Speaker, six. And then Mike Trout, seven. When you put it like that, it sounds pretty accurate, though. Like, I can't right. really They're, argue. It's a loaded position. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm not against having a certain number at a position in level five. If he, if he earned it, he earned it. He might be a level five guy. So it's something be. that I got to be looking at. But right now I have him as a fringe level four to five guy. I probably have him as the best, probably the best overall player, regardless of position at level four. Is Mike Trout a level five guy? I have him at level four. Just because say, not he yet. finished up to an MVP seven times, you're up there. 
I just, I, I don't know, I, I don't see how Speaker would not be level 5. I mean, the guy had 3,500 hits, he had almost 800 doubles. I mean, this was a time before guys were really hitting home runs, which means that know, he was driving the ball better than almost anybody else. A level five Hall mm-hmm. of Famer. I think he's a level 4. I think if, if stadiums were created the way they were created today, this guy would probably have more than 100 career home runs. That is valid. I, I'm point. definitely going to think about it. But I think and he has almost a 350 career batting average. I don't know why this guy's not top five, uh, a tier five, even if he didn't have top MVP voting, whatever. Right. Uh, but after that, there's a pretty significant drop off. So, like, I think those are the clear top seven at the position because after that, I have Duke Snyder at number eight at level two. I don't have any right fielders in, I'm sorry, I don't have any center fielders in level three. Then mm-hmm. it's Kirby Puckett, guys like Richie Ashburn, Andre Dawson, Earl Adler. Oh, yeah. Clear disparity for sure. So there's definitely like, and I'm not going to penalize Chris Speaker for that. Yeah. Or, or um, Chris, uh, I'm sorry, Mike Trout for that. I think they're both clear at least level four, but I, I can see the argument for level five. So the committee will be thinking about that one. <laughs> I'm, just, that I'm, just looking, I'm just looking at this, like looking at his stats. I'm, I'm just looking at his stats. And, I mean, in 1920, this man had 214 hits, 50 doubles. I mean, he had over 100 RBIs. He had 388, and he wasn't even in the conversation for MVP. Jeez. So, you can say anything you want about top five MVP finishes, but if a guy has that kind of year and he's not even in the debate, I don't know what to tell you. I don't even know if they had an – well, they did have an MVP. He did win one MVP. One MVP is in the the 1910s. He won in 1912 when they won the World Series. Right. He only hit 380 that year with 53 doubles. <laughs> You're right. 1916 with Cleveland's, and I'm I don't know how far they got. But we'll look. Not even later. the year I was looking at. He led the league in batting average, OBP, slugging, and then obviously OPS, along with hits and doubles. Yes, and was not even in the that's contention for MVP. Did they just not vote yeah, on MVP insane. in 1916. All right. We're, we're going to do it, boys. We're going to make it <laughs> right now. Chris will be promoted to level five. Rank Live edit. Six. I'm going to keep him behind Ken Griffey Jr., but I am going to put him at number six. I'm sorry. I'm going to put him at level five on the pyramid. There you go. He's now in the top level. Welcome to the Pentheon, as Bill Simmons would say, Mr. Tris Speaker. Love the edit there. I love the live edit. Yeah, so I, I think you're right. I, I'm, and that's why, like, this list is very – it's ever-flowing. I the list just is fluid. The list is fluid. Members. I, I, I added 25 new Hall of Famers as legit level guys in the last few weeks because I decided, like, after looking at it, I think I had way too high of a bar. So if I added a bunch of guys to level one, theoretically, I should probably add – Hold on. Hold on. Hold two. on. Stop talking. Hold on. Uh-oh. Hold on. <laughs> I would like to refute everything we've just said, uh, simply because of the fact that for all those years we just talked about Tris Speaker, they did not vote on an MVP between the years of 1915 and 1921. There was no MVP. Uh, so in all those years, he would have won at least one to two more MVPs. Very yeah. valid. So Tris Speaker's in level five. So we corrected the historical injustices. Okay. I just want that to be known. There was no MVP <laughs> from 1915 to 1921. Thank you, sir. This is why You're I welcome. Up on this. Like, this is not yeah. a one-man show. You're welcome. So, like, this is not a one-man pyramid. So I definitely take others' opinions into consideration, and we will definitely be discussing that in November. Ah. Uh. Um, now, that's it for the Hall of Famers, but there's one other person I want to talk about. And, Josh, you did talk about him at length, but I wanted to go into the career of Smokey Joe Wood. So 
similar to what I did in the 1905 pod many moons ago, um, I talked about Bill DeLenn, who was a pre-modern era player for the most part, and you know made he won the World Series in 1905, but um, is not a Hall of Famer, but he's still someone that people think about. He's still relevant, so I wanted to add him in there. Um, Smokey Joe Wood is someone who's kind of he's still talked about, but he's not in the Hall of Fame talks anymore. But he had an incredible 1912 season in particular, and he honestly had a really good career until he injured his arm. So wow. you might have heard of his name, actually. Have either of you watched Field of Dreams? Yes, of course. So when Moonlight Graham uh, steps on the field, right, in his return to baseball with all the other ghosts, he points out three different players, Melot, Gil Hodges, and Smokey Joe Wood. And Gil Hodges just made the Hall of Fame uh, this past year with Tony Oliva. And, um, sorry, I just drew a blank. Uh, Mel Ott uh, made the Hall of Fame many years ago. But Smokey Joe Wood is still on the outside looking in. And in 1912, he went 34-5. and five Oh, my gosh. Two win percentage with a 1.91 ERA on the season. Wow. Now, he permanently injured his arm in 1913, but he came back and played in 1915 and led the league in ERA with a 1.49. But after that, he only pitched seven games for the rest of his career, overspanning three different years. He pitched five games one year, one game the next year, and one game after that. That was when he moved from Boston to Cleveland, and he became a position player. And he hit 296 with an 806 OPS from 1916 to 1922. Oh, wow. He didn't play that much. He only played 100 games or more twice. But his career numbers for pitching was 117 and 57 win-loss record, a 2.03 career ERA. And I'm going to hit you with the same metric here, a 146 ERA plus. So he finished 46% above the average in ERA plus, accounting for stadium and era that he played in. He peaked at 18% on the BBWAA Hall of Fame ballot in 1947. Really haven't heard his name much since getting tossed around for the Hall of Fame. And in this World Series overall, he went 3-1 and one with a 4.50 ERA, so he didn't do all that great. But he gave up 11 earned runs in 22 innings. But I just wanted to shout that out because I think he would constitute like one of those guys who's a Hall of Fame talent. I don't mean to keep over-referencing Bill Simmons here, but he mentioned a part in his book called The Comets which would be in his basement floor. I don't do that, but he does. And the Comets are guys who showed real Hall of Fame talent, but then something unavoidable happened and it swayed them from their career. So this is where a guy like Mm -hmm. Doc Gooden would be, or a Daryl Strawberry would be, or a David Wright would be. And Smokey Joe Wood is the really one of the first chronological guys that would be in this group. Um, So I wanted to shout him out because I think that he uh, belongs – in the conversation and honestly yeah. I'm not against him being like if he if they announced that he'd be a Hall of Famer tomorrow, I wouldn't be against it. I don't think I would put him in my personal one just because the peak was so short. I mean you have to put him in because you're a Shelly Tani worshiper and this guy was obviously was a great two way player. Yep, I'm there not, it is. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Fair yeah. Okay. He actually did See, yeah, I got series. you. I got right. you. He actually did win a World Series. I'll give you that. Dude, those numbers, man, are insane, yeah. though. One, three? Yeah. And so he was off the charts for a very short period of time. But one when he had that in 1912, he didn't lead the league in ERA. He had he just had an ERA under two. Oh, the horror. 
But like, uh, <laughs> oh. he's like he had an ERA under one point five, which is in- absolutely incredible. So I just want to give a shout out to Pokey Joe Wood here. Um, like I said, would I put him in my personal Hall of Fame? I I honestly don't know. I probably you have to. We've gone over this, but I would think, <laughs> yeah. We can edit that part out. I realize it was repetitive, but anyway, uh, that wraps up the Hall of Fame segment. So we'll come back to this uh, next time around, and we'll be talking about those Boston guys quite a bit. All right. So post trade deadline, what do we think? Uh, Angels are morons. Um, they bought and it didn't work and they're stupid. <laughs> I don't understand the hype around Lucas Giolito. And I said that the last pod 4.37 ERA. He was never, he honestly was never that great. He had not one that guy. good season, two good seasons. Not that guy, pal. He has a career <laughs> ERA of over four. What exactly are they seeing in him? I don't know, man. All their acquisitions didn't make too much sense to me. Like Richard, really? No. He's fine. But he's not going to put you over the top. But it was a bad team with a bad manager. And a bad GM. And a bad owner. <laughs> but staying in that division, Max Scherzer. Oh, oh no, hold on. Let's go, let's go ahead and stay with the A's for a second. I just want to say that yeah, I find it utterly hilarious that the Angels bought so heavily and the Mariners sold so heavily, being as they have the exact same record in the exact same division. And yet, since the trade deadline, the Mariners have been far and away the better team. Yep. I really like the Mariners, man. They're a nice team. They actually have a future. Yes. <laughs> the Angels have nothing. Yeah. They have Mike Trout. We're busting. We're promising. But yeah, so sticking with the division, Max Scherzer to Texas. Love to see my preseason sleeper buying at the deadline. <laughs> they get our oldest Chapman. And they get Max Scherzer. Here we go. I, I don't know. I'm starting to think, you know, I'm just going to say it. And it, it's sad because I'm, I'm, you know, a stockholder in the Atlanta Braves. We get it. I think the Texas Rangers should be the favorite. Uh, in the, uh, the, in the AL? In I, the I, don't know about, I, I don't know about that one, buddy. I still have to put the Astros just because of experience over them. Like I don't just trust have the Astros to. this year. I don't. And we said that last year. I know, and I get it, and just let me enjoy my, my piece of pretending that the Astros are irrelevant again. Uh, I'm just going to live in my little bubble. <laughs> Texas, but not Houston. Texas and Baltimore, right? That's what everyone wants, but what if Houston I, makes it? I, don't want, I want Baltimore to succeed, but I don't want them to go that far. Let's, they're still a mm-hmm. division rival. Let's, let's hold our horses up. Okay. But they made a couple good acquisitions. I feel like Baltimore has like – Two-thirds of the tools to be a great team, but they have negative experience. Yeah, they're gonna have they'll probably lose in the first or second round and come back stronger next year type thing. I mean they have a lot of rookies and, and, and like most rookies, God knows what they're gonna do in year two. So hope they can go as far as they can now. Yeah. Honestly, and, it's sad, but I think what's gonna help Baltimore and even though I don't like the Raiders, like I hate saying it, I, Shane McClanahan's injury is ugh. gonna pay dividends for Baltimore. And it's sad because I love Shane McClanahan. Me too. I actually like even you know division rivalry aside, he is one of my favorite pitchers to watch. And it's his second pretty significant injury in the last two seasons. So I'm kind of hoping that this one kind of reverts him back. Yeah. But that that's a little scary. But um, I don't mean to interrupt the trade deadline news, but news actually just surfaced. Speaking of injured pitchers. 
Um, apparently, Walker Bueller is set to make his debut within a month. Uh oh. So well, yeah, the Dodgers have just won the World Series. Yeah. <laughs> Dodgers are saying hello. Speaking uh, of the Dodgers, cool. Joe Kelly and Lance Lynn, right? Yup. Blake. All right, Schmidt. I will never understand Lance Lynn. That man is about <laughs> twenty-five hamburgers too many. Okay. <laughs> I just think he sucks. Sorry, <laughs> I think he Not sucks. Not sure. I think he sucks. Need yeah. Walker. Need Walker Bueller. I mean, uh, Bueller's been great. Can he? Can he come off of? Uh, you know, an injury like that and, and be good again. And I think so. Time, they're going to give him to figure it out. I mean, he could. He could also be Luis Severino and need to be banished to the shadow realm. <laughs> you know? About 10 minutes ago, Dave Roberts said that Walker Bueller is, is throwing 92 to 93 during his one inning versus hitters. And Blake Treenan is throwing 86 to 87 in the bullpen sessions, but hit 94 today. Okay, so Treenan needs to throw 98 and Bueller is to also throw 98. So that's good yeah. news, but they still have ways to go. Right. Yeah. But they're saying he's encouraged, and it seems promising for September. They're scary, man. And if he comes back in October, even if you have him like release, middle relief, yeah, right, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wow. I don't know that those uh, those Padres in the West, they might not even make the playoffs. No, right for there. real, they might not. It's gonna end up being Dodgers, Braves, and um, who else? Oh, the Central's garbage. Sorry, no one else. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Go Braves. Or maybe the Phillies if they decide to, you know, not lose a double Uh huh. Yep, that's right. Big Phillies fan right here. You know, as bad as the Padres have been, I can't blame Juan Soto. He has a 934 OPS, 160 OPS plus. Yeah, he showed up. Let, he's leading the league in walks, and I get it. He's walking a lot, but, you know. That's what he does. He walks. Really there, but, yeah, that's why they suck. Because he walks but, everywhere. You, can't, you got too many egos on that team. Everybody, nobody wants to try. <laughs> I, I guarantee you their practices are horrible. And that's, uh, what, that's what you got. Uh, can't be worse than the White Sox. You see, they're like the no rules culture, apparently. People sleeping in the bullpen type thing. Like, nobody cares. Oh, well, I mean, Tim Anderson was sleeping on the field. <laughs> the Red Sox did a few you know, years ago. And John Lackey and Josh Beckett, I think it was, were yes. drinking beer and eating wings in the bullpen during games. Yeah. My favorite. Kevin Brown. What did he yeah. lose his job for? Oh, Lordy, Lordy. oh, you know, speaking facts because an I'm organization can't confused. handle it. Like he I, – I understand – let me just – I understand why Tom Brennan lost his job. He should have. Um, but now the Orioles are covering up saying he'll return soon. But he got suspended, I guess it was. And all he did was just talk about the Orioles' record against the Rays, wasn't it? No, and he stated not only, facts. Not only did he talk about it, they had their entire, you know, TV crew yep. make a graphic showing yep. this. Yep. Give it to him to read and look at and read <laughs> and talk about it and read <laughs> and and so then you know they. Put him on indefinite leave and suspended him, or whatever, whatever they want to call it. Yeah, so if you're gonna suspend him, you should fire the whole crew, right? Every because, one of them, yeah. Because it was not a me. something that he just decided to say. That's just horrible. I mean, every every other announcer across the league shamed, absolutely shamed yes. the Orioles' ownership, as they should have. It, it, it's an, it's utterly embarrassing for the owner of the Orioles. Yeah, he'll be receiving a call from uh, Mr. Manfred. Yep. Uh, no, Manfred probably loves us. 
there's no reason why this guy should not be coming out and giving a public apology yeah to everybody involved it's bad for man. the absolute stupidity that this that this was i have a few facts here you know since he doesn't like facts we'll go we'll go back to the 90s and bring some facts <laughs> from mr john angelos owner of the baltimore orioles um the ownership in 1996 didn't offer a contract to their play-by-play announcer at the time, John Miller. Does that name ring a bell to any John of you? John Miller, yeah, ESPN. Yes, and, and he, yes, he has now been with the Giants for 27 years. But before that, he was with Baltimore for a while. And you know why they didn't tender him a new contract? I have a quote here uh, because he wasn't biased enough for them. To quote John Angelos, they should be an advocate for the team. They should want to bleed a little bit for the Orioles on air, end quote. So they want everybody to be Hawk Harrelson. We want people to cover up when your team's bad on the air, John. That's what we want to do. Uh, facts don't exist. Baseball's a game of numbers. We're just not going to, you know, let the numbers speak for themselves. Um, so that was one example. And just a more recent example in 2021. Again, you guys will love this one. This is my, my favorite. There was an Orioles PA announcer, you know, the guy on the – the speaker, the loudspeaker at the games who announces the play, uh, players and all that stuff, he got fired in 2021 because of his tweets about simple facts that other players like against the Orioles. For example, uh, everyone's favorite Yankee, Brett Gardner, <laughs> is involved. He, uh, he was tweeting, the last straw was the, this guy was tweeting that Brett Gardner had a 300 average that year in Camden Yards. <laughs> Bang, and, bang. And he hit a single. And um, I think an error was made on the play. And the PA announcer tweeted, he tweeted, seriously, we're going to let Garner on base again? That's what lost this man his job. <laughs> Brett Gardner. But, but yeah. They believe it makes them look cheap, I think the quote was. Yeah. And, and um, this guy just is so soft. And he's been soft for 30 years now. It's so embarrassing. It's Unbelievable. Dull. All right, so we'll take him and the uh, Oakland A's manager, and we'll just put him on a bus and drive it off a cliff. Post-editing, you're not going to get to hear the wonderful joke that took place, but uh, let's just say that Zach just got hit harder than Tim Anderson. Wow. Hey, yo. Wow. Um, That's pretty hard. That. that was the first real baseball fight in a while. Yeah, like, last one was Odor, right? Yeah, I think Odor and Bautista – yeah. Actually, there were other that was the one where it was like actually punches landed. Right. Oh yeah. Like I think that was that might have been on the Mount Rushmore of modern baseball fights. I think it was, considering Anderson started it too and love fell flat on his back. Oh, Ugh. I love seeing that. It was hilarious, man. And it was like um, you're you're playing horribly this year. That's what I was gonna say. The White Sox don't have any room to talk. Your They've been playing awful. You're playing bad. Where do you get off doing that? Worst season of his career, right? He's hitting 242. He's actually batting right now. One home run, 19 RBIs, and a 575 OPS. I don't have it memorized. I'm reading right off the graphic on the screen on TV right now. <laughs> but he has a 575 OPS. Statistically, in the first half of the season, in several categories, he was the worst hitter in the American League. Yep. No right to be talking about that. this guy? Uh, like I said before, it's all the culture over there. Apparently, it's really, really bad. No yeah. one has any accountability. And the management doesn't have control over their guys at all, so they do whatever they want. They're worse than the Padres. They're worse than the between between Anderson, Jimenez, and uh, Robert. Those three guys, they don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. They all just think they're God's gift to Earth. And uh, newsflash, you trash. <laughs> I don't know if Robert's trash. 
No, yeah. Robert's having a great year. The other two, trash. Yeah. You I think Jose, why do you think Jose Abreu wanted out? Right. Yeah. And now he's trash. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. true. That is very true. This is very I true. I actually was going to go to a game, a Yankee Astro game, just to see Jose Abreu play last week before I went to the Metallica concert and saw the whole crowd do the wave. <laughs> and I figured I was driving out there anyway. I might as well. Prices jacked up from like 10 bucks to 80 the day of. So I passed on it, and then my tire light came on. So never mind. <laughs> Another year to see Jose Abreu. Oh, Let me tell you, wasn't worth year. it. Yeah, he's having a terrible year. So I know, but I want he's the only MVP that's still active that I haven't seen in person. So I wanted to go catch it just to kind of fulfill that. But I'm guessing he'll be back next year, right? Like, he's only 35. Yeah, he'll be back. Yeah, he'll be back. I thought it was funny that after that fight, the next day, Ramirez was taking pictures with boxing gloves. <laughs> I really like Jose Ramirez. He's so that, funny. He so much respect for him. I, I always liked him as a player because he never got talked about the way he should have been. Yeah, he's very underappreciated for this generation, for sure. Because he's in Cleveland. Yes. Yeah. What a desolate wasteland that Ohio is. <laughs> Coming from the Ohio resident. Yeah, you would know better than anyone else. That absolute desolate wasteland. That's how it's always been. Like guys like Kenny Lofton didn't even get a look for the Hall of Fame. Sad. Yep. But don't worry, CC will get in. Uh, yeah, but he I mean, played in New York. So. I know. He will. It's gonna take a little while though, and we'll talk. You don't about think that he's valid? I think he gets in, but if when he gets, I'll say when because I do believe he gets in the Hall of Fame, and I would put him in. He would have the third highest ERA of all pitchers in the Hall of Fame. Wow. That's so crazy. Like it's Jack Morris, it's Red Ruffing, and it's him. Mm. He has one Cy Young. He hit the only reason why I think he gets in is he hit the three thousand strikeouts. I think I was gonna was, say, yeah. Crazy as twenty nine ninety, I think he probably sits a while. Um from what I remember, I think twenty twenty six is a weaker group. So like maybe he'll gain there. But I think it's going to take him probably four or five years minimum. Interesting. Each row is going to walk in in that Well, yeah. But, like, right now you're just over, you know, it's going to be a lot of different guys coming on, but it's going to be, like, a steady, like, one to two a year. It's not going to be, like, getting the avalanches that we had in, you know, earlier this decade. All right. So I got I got, I got a few things. Uh-oh. So I, I, saw, I saw on a uh, – on a podcast uh, earlier today that Matt Olson said that the Atlanta Braves have been watching good old Frank the tank and drawing <laughs> motivation from his videos. I just want to put that out there. So what do you guys think about that? That every team Olson said pretty much every team in the NL East is, is watching his videos. And he basically said <laughs> that last year, especially during the Mets, like historical collapse, and the Braves coming out and just taking division from them that they were using that stuff as motivation. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. I was I love saying it. actually uh, during the trade deadline that I think Phil, uh, Frank is partially responsible for <laughs> And I'll explain why. Everyone's seeing this, right? Barstool's huge. Everyone's watching it, and Matt Olson's even saying that they saw it. Players aren't the only ones seeing this. Executives are seeing this. Executives <laughs> are seeing that fans are disgruntled, annoyed, and pissed so they go in and they're like oh yeah you know we'll take verlander's contract off the books as frank's writing trade verlander trade scherzer every five <laughs> seconds <laughs> doing that all the time 
you know, trade Escobar, trade Canna, you know, Mark can't hit, and he's bring, he's helping with the fa- you know, and everyone else who's following him is bringing down the value of his own players, and we do this too as Yankee fans. So I'm not saying that he's wrong. Yeah. But yeah, but our but our owner doesn't doesn't listen to anything that goes on because if he did, Cashman and Boone would not be part of the team. Yep, I agree. Hal doesn't care. Stevie Cohen's on Twitter, and I Big think he, I think he's well intended, and I think he will do a great job. But I think he will be you know eyeing that stuff, and he sees the fans are restless, and he's going to do what he can to make them happy because Frank is starting an uproar. And then they then they complain when they have to give up fourteen million next year or twenty million next year here. So now they they signed all these players to these contracts, going and win now. And now not only are they trading them away, they're giving piles of money away to make these players go away. Yeah, it's embarrassing. Players don't want to be there. Only the Yankees did this. Frank told the story actually about how Steve Cohen called him out. He wouldn't take a picture with him. So Cohen sees this stuff, yeah, and clearly yeah. Cohen is angry, actually a fan, and sees what's going on. So every and that's what I like about Cohen. But the problem is, is that every other team can use that as motivation. The players can, and the owners and the executives can use that as leverage. And why wouldn't they? No, you're right. You're right. Absolutely right. Let's see when a guy like that makes such a big loud noise. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny how they're reveling in his misery. I love it. I love it. It's kind of funny. Speaking of Barstool, I think this is big news in the sports world, especially the media world, that Dave Portnoy bought back Barstool yes. Sports, 100% of it. So I just want to say, Dave, if you're listening, and I'm pretty sure we all know that you are, because who wouldn't be wanting to listen about a podcast all about all of the old World Series uh, we are ready to become full-time employees of Barstool, and we will show up on time. I saw the videos today. I know nobody showed up to the office. I don't know what they're doing. Send them back into the corner of shame. We will show up on time. We are ready to come to Barstool. We will work. Chill, we will chill, work. Chill, we chill. will work. Blogs for food, boys. Blogs for food. Can you explain the ESPN deal to me, though? Because I'm cons- I don't know what's going on with all that. What, with the betting? Yeah. I don't know a whole lot about it because I've been clean from gambling since the Super Bowl. Right. Uh, but from what I've heard, that there's the app's going to be called ESPN Bet, and it's a, another sports book. I, I don't see what's wrong with the idea, really. It's affiliated. Uh, yeah, had the sports book, and now they they have ESPN Bet. I'm a lot more concerned about like people who have like, le- and I guess ESPN is similar to Sham Sharania, but Sham Sharania is an NBA insider who has a deal with FanDuel. And my concern with that is that he can say injury updates and change the odds. And then all of a sudden things are magically different because he's a sponsor of FanDuel. So I guess technically ESPN can kind of do the same thing, but I think it's a little bit different. Yeah, I, I, gotta... mean, like, I don't think anybody's actually like listening to ESPN, you know, talking heads and taking, you know, just recycling their opinions and running it out. And if they are, then they shouldn't be gambling anyway. But Shams, typically is the one who leaks legitimate sports news mm-hmm. that's happening. And usually by the time ESPN announces it, it's usually already confirmed. 
Yeah, I'm just surprised. Like, the affiliation with ESPN is weird to me. I thought they'd stay away from that stuff. It's very surprising to hear. I think they need more money. And they want it. I, I don't guess. Them. But I honestly, like, and it's going to be blasphemous probably to any of our listeners and to probably you guys because it sounds probably weird to you for me to say this. But I honestly, I get why gambling wasn't legal in sports for so long. And part of me thinks that it's messing up the competitiveness of the game itself. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. There was a story where this one's just taking bets on the Special Olympics now, and I think that's well, you got um, the line. I know, but you got NFL players that are betting on themselves, right? There was a scandal this year. Yeah, like ten of them. Dumb. Like, what are you doing? Just clear idiots gonna lose their jobs. Like, like, and it's not even that they're betting on the NFL; they're betting on other sports while at work, for the most part. Some of them did bet on football. Mm-hmm. Uh, Calvin Ridley being the main example. But a lot of guys are suspended because they were making bets while at work that were unrelated to football. Take that as you will. Yeah. Sure if, but if you're doing that at work, you're probably not above making a football bet, having your cousin put a bet down for you. Right. And tanking. I'm sure it goes on in all sports. And I'm sure plenty of media members at ESPN or in other platforms – and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm sure that you know a lot of them actively talk about gambling. And there are gambling shows dedicated to people who gamble. So like, yeah. I don't think it's any different than that. I mean, I guess the – but I'm surprised that Disney would take it on. Yeah, good point. Because they need the money because all their movies are not performing. This episode of Championship or Bus is brought to you by Liquid IV. Now – I don't know if you guys have known, but I've been doing a lot of exercising and a lot of dieting lately. I go on walks almost every single day with my mother-in-law, actually. And oh, for you, Matt. Go for usually like ten to twenty thousand steps every time we go, depending Look on how you. much we have and things like that. And it's really brought us a lot closer together. But that's kind of my health habit that I've been working on. I've also been trying to eat better. And I've been trying to stay hydrated because I was having actually an issue where I got sick because I was dehydrated. So I figured what better way to try than Liquid IV. So Liquid IV is the category winning hydration brand fueling your well-being. And their hydration multiplier is the one product that you're missing in your daily routine. In just one stick, you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than just water alone. So when you use it in the first thing in the morning or before a workout or after a workout or when you're feeling tired after a long night out, and I'll <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it's been very helpful. So what I love most about Liquid IV, it's really, really convenient. You can use it with anything. You feel really good. Uh, I love the strawberry lemonade flavor. I love the lemon lime and the pina colada flavors. Uh, it's just it makes me feel really energetic even after a workout. And it just makes me feel a lot healthier and more hydrated. So one stick of liquid IV and 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. And it contains five essential vitamins. And with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, you're going to feel really, really good when you take a liquid IV. So (laughs) try out liquid IV. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code COB at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today. So use your promo code COB at liquidiv.com. And that will wrap up our latest episode of Championship or Bust. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in today. Uh, Coming up next, we have a little bit of suspense for you. 
you know, we don't know where we're going with this next. We might continue on with the 1900s. We might go a little bit more current. So tune in and find out next time. Thank you again, and we'll see you soon. Peace. Peace.